0: Amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you do, um, if you got a copy of God's Word, turn to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one somewhere nearby you under a seat. If you would just grab that and find uh, this little book at the end of that Bible uh, called 1 John, uh, turn there with us. And if you don't own a Bible, please leave with that. That would We would love to give that to you. 1 John chapter 1. In verse 5, we are told something really, really important for us to understand as as God's people, and I want to read 1 John 1.5 to get us going right from the outset, and it's this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is what? That he's light, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. God is completely flawless. He is unblemished in every way. There is no imperfection in him. He's morally perfect. He's completely good. He's incomparably holy. Uh, God is light. He illuminates truth. He reveals truth. He shows us truth. Why? Because he is truth. And because he's truth, there is absolutely no falsehood in him. God does not lie because he cannot lie. He's perfectly light. Uh, He is light, and thus his people are called to be people of light. Jesus says in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And you think about what Jesus said. You're the light of the world. That light cannot be hidden. Those who are God's people are people of the light. And uh, uh, and as John began his gospel, he told us that this light of God is the life of men. This is where we get spiritual life. God is light. And thus, this has implications for those who are God's people. And uh, uh, we are looking at the implications of what this should mean. If God is light, what does this mean for us as people of the light? And we said uh, last week and this week are kind of one sermon that we've uh, stretched out over two weeks. And the big idea over both last week and this week is this, because God is light, God's people walk in the light. We talked about that last week. Uh, We looked at the first part of this paragraph, verses 5 through 7, and we talked about what does it mean to be light walkers? What does it mean to walk in the light? And then we acknowledge together um, that it is actually possible for us to say we have fellowship with God, and yet to not be walking in the light, but instead to be walking in darkness. And John, because he loves the people he's writing to, and God, because he loves us, inspired him to write it, said, I just got to tell you, you're lying if you say you have fellowship with God and yet are walking in the darkness. Because God is light. God's people walk in the light. But then this week, we camp out on the last part of their statement, and it's this. And they bring their sin into the light. Now, when you see a statement like that, and when you know a sermon on confessing sin is ahead in the next 30 six minutes and ten seconds, you might immediately get uncomfortable. You might immediately start to squirm, especially for those in here who have um, sin hidden in deep, dark corners. And I just want to say from the outset that we get to study a passage on the confession of sin because we have a God who loves us. And he has our good in mind. And that we can actually sit under a message like this. And the whole time be worshiping and praising God through it. Because he knows what is ultimately our good and the confessing of sin is ultimately our good. When you see um, that we're going to have a message on confessing sin You might be thinking, man, I'm glad my wife's here today. Man, I'm glad my husband's here today. Oh, I wish so-and-so would be here today. But this message is for you. And as I preach this message today, this message is for me. All week long, I've asked the Lord to remind me, Lord, remind me that this isn't a message just for the people, this is a message for me. Because here's the truth of the matter. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to hear a message on confessing sin, feel the conviction of it, and then to walk away and do nothing with it. And the enemy would love nothing more than for me to preach a message on the confession of sin. To feel convicted and really good, like, see, Lord, we preach the word. We're a word-preaching church. We don't go over anything. And, we, and then to walk away and do nothing with it. The enemy would love nothing more than that. And so it's our hope, as we unpack just a few verses, that God, by the power of his Spirit, would so move in our heart, bringing the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings in such a way that we leave here and we actually do something with the church. And I just want, I want as this message goes, and as we get into things like hurdles that keep us from confessing sin, and we're just, we might just be sitting in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I want you in that moment, instead of getting up and walking out, instead of squirming and doodling and trying to do anything but sit under the weight of the Word of God, would you just whisper to yourself in those moments of heavy conviction, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Lord." Church, this is good, and this is God-honoring. And so today, we dive into verses 8 through 10, and as we do, I want to cover four things this morning as it relates to confessing our sin. First, we need to debunk the lie that I don't need to confess. There's a lie here. There's a lie in, in the midst of the people as John writes this. And we need to identify what that lie is, and we need to debunk that lie together. And then we need to define what healthy confession is. Okay, what, what, what even is confession? Third, we're going to destroy the hurdles that keep us from confessing. And all of us in here acknowledge that there are hurdles that keep us from confessing sin. And then fourthly, we're going to determine to trust the character and promises of God when I confess. I believe it's the fourth thing that it will actually be the the motivation to leave here today and do something with it. But as we set out together on this journey, let's pray together and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit this morning, Father. We do need your help. We need your help to understand your word, Lord. Your truths are spiritually understood, so we need spiritual eyes to see. We need our ears to be unstopped so we have spiritual ears to hear. Lord, we need the work of your Spirit in our hearts um, to make us doers of your Word, to actually help us do something with what we have heard today straight out of your Word. God, we need your help in these moments here for our minds not to drift. We are, we are finite beings with finite attention spans. God, we need the help of the Holy Spirit for our minds to lock in so our hearts can drink deeply of the truths you give us. Lord, the preacher of this word needs the Spirit's help to say what it says and not say anything that it doesn't say. So God, please, will you help us right now? God, please, we ask for your help. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we, what's it say we do? We deceive ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And all God's people said, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, first thing we need to do this morning is this. We need to debunk the lie that I don't need to confess. And if you're taking notes, page 34 of your sermon series guide is where you can find the notes uh, for today. Uh, to, we need to debunk the lie that uh, we don't need to confess. Look back at what it says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin. Uh, first question you're probably asking that, who in the world would say that? Right? Like, who in their right mind would say that they have no sin or they have not sinned? Like, you're going, like, how is that even relevant? Because I've never even met a person who would say, like, I haven't sinned. Uh, What is sin? Sin means to miss the mark. Sin, um, 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 Wayne Grudem, the guy who wrote one of kind of the go-to systematic theology books in the evangelical world, he says, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. You're going, who would say that they have perfectly conformed to the moral will of God in act and attitude? And by their very nature, you're going, who in the world would say something like that? Um, apparently, there's something swirling around with the false teachings that John is writing to try to encourage true believers to not get pulled away into this false teaching. Something in this this Gnostic heresy that is uh, implying or overtly stating some sort of sinlessness. Now, we need to understand something about the Gnostic heresy that's swirling around the, the, the God's people at this time. Um, one of the things that it taught was that uh, the body was evil and spirit is good. The body is evil, spirit is good. And so the implication of what that can mean for uh, this group that had pulled away from the church is they're going, oh, oh, oh I'm not sinned. My, my body has just done some bad things, but, 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 but my spirit is still good, so, so thus I'm good, and all God's people should say, that's whack. We are accountable for our sin. When my body sins, I've sinned. I am like defiled before God apart from a savior. And so you have this teaching that John is that John is kind of speaking against here, in which Gnostic, these Gnostic followers are saying, Yeah, spirit's always good, body's always bad. Like my body might do some bad things, but my spirit is still undefiled in good. Uh, it's not it's not true. Now, you might go again, well, that's some crazy Gnostic heresy from the first century. Like what, like. No one today is saying anything along the lines of, like, I have no sin, I'm good. Right? No. I think, I think um, in our day and age, we've actually just kind of learned how to say a very similar thing in a different way. Not so, like, not so spiritually prideful sounding. When someone says, I'm a good person, think about what they're saying. If you're good, you have no need of being saved. Like if you're good and someone tells you you need to be saved, you're like, saved from what? Ultimately, like I'm a, I'm a good person. When people in our day and age say that they are fundamentally good apart from a savior, is to deceive yourself. And and not only not only that. When, we, when people say in our day and age that we're fundamentally good, we have no need for a Savior, like, I, yeah, I'm a good person. Now, I've made some mistakes, but I am a good person. When we say that, not only do we deceive ourselves, but I want you to look again at what verse 10 said. If we say we have not sinned, we say we're fundamentally good, we make God to be a liar. Because God has already made statements on this matter. So I want you to look at some of the things God has said in his word about who we are apart from a savior. Romans 3.10 says this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 14 says this, They have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Psalm 53 says this, They have all fallen away. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Should I go on? Let God make clear from cover to cover in His Word that... There is something in us. If God is morally perfect and completely flawless and unblemished, we are the antithesis of that. We are morally corrupt. We are blemished. We are sinful, fallen beings. And to say otherwise is to deceive ourselves. And to say otherwise is to actually call God a liar, because God has already told us on this matter. I want you to think of maybe an instance in your life where you've been in a heated exchange with someone and they've pointed the finger at you and they've said, liar. I want you to think like how that made your blood boil inside. Now imagine pointing the finger at a holy and perfect God and saying, liar. I'm good. It's a lie that's got to be debunked. We are not good. Now, if you're like mad at me and ready to walk out because you're like, this dude's crazy telling me I'm not a good person. There's really, really good news ahead because God has done something for non-good people. And it's a really, really good thing. And so, like, please don't walk out yet. Like, if if we get to the end of the 40 minutes and you still think he's a whack job and I'm out of here, it's okay. Like, okay, I can take that then, but don't walk out before the 40 minutes. So, there's a lie we need to debunk. Now, um, if it's true that all have sinned, that we're all morally bankrupt, that we've all offended a holy God, um, we, need to, we need to talk about what do we do with this sin. This sin cannot be discounted, it can't be denied, this sin can't be dismissed, but this sin has to be dealt with. So, how do we deal with it? Verse 9. If we, what's the word? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that verse ever get old? I mean, we'll read that for years and years and years and years and years, and we'll rejoice in it for those who know Jesus for 10,000 years on 10,000 years, and it will ne- that truth will never get old. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the second thing we got to do is we got to define what healthy confession is. So what is confession? What does it mean to confess? And here's kind of a working definition that we can work from on this, and it's this. Confession is to call sin what God calls it and to grieve sin the way God grieves it. Okay, so confession is to call sin what God calls it. Sometimes we can try to minimize it. Sometimes we can say, oh, no, 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 no big deal. Like, you know, everyone does that. It's okay. No, to, to, to confess is to call sin what God calls it, to see it from God's vantage point, to see what God has said about it, and to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm agreeing with God. That's what this is. But it's not, it doesn't only stop there. It's not just the formality of calling it what God calls it. There's something that happens as we grieve our sin the way God grieves it. To, 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 to let the conviction of the Spirit sit in and go, like, I, I grieve that. I don't, I hate that. And I don't hate me and I don't hate that. I hate that. I hate what that is, and God hates that sin, and so we grieve it the way God grieves it. And so um, at the point we put saving faith in Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the moment that we were saved, the moment that we, uh, the Lord opened our minds to understand that we are utterly lost, Completely hopeless, in need of Jesus to save us from our sins. At the moment, we put saving faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen our sin. We see how it's offended a holy God. We confess our sinfulness. And in faith, we turn to Christ as Savior. And in that moment, we trust Jesus Christ. We are what the Bible calls justified. It's this beautiful, like, you want to be encouraged this week? Go do a study on the doctrine of justification. We're justified. We are righteous before the Lord. Why? Because of Christ's righteousness that he has given to us by faith. We are declared no longer guilty before God, all because of Jesus Christ. And yet, though we're justified... We are positionally completely righteous before the Lord because of Christ. Christ has robed us in righteousness. Uh, Practically, there's still some of the hangover effects of sin that we bring into this new walk with Jesus. Everyone agree with that, right? You all have experienced like I came to Christ and yet there's some of the hangover of sin that has carried with me into this new walk with it. We all together on that? Okay, good. And because we still sin... We are given a means of grace from God in confessing this sin, of knowing how to deal with it, calling it what God calls it, grieving it the way God grieves it, so that we will turn from it and forsake it, and to grow into a greater likeness to Jesus Christ, because God wants you to grow into a greater likeness to Jesus Christ. And God is working in your life to accomplish those means. He is sanctifying you. The more we grow in Christ, the more we're growing into Christ's likeness the more God is getting glory out of our lives. And so let's talk very practically, what are some characteristics of healthy confession? What are some characteristics of healthy confession? Uh, the first one is this. Confess sin specifically. Confess sin specifically. Garrett Higby uh, is a biblical counselor. You might know that name. He kind of home bases out of Indianapolis here. But he says something that I love. He says, The enemy condemns in generalities, the Lord convicts in specifics. We know that. We've experienced that. The enemy condemns with some just broad, cloudy type thing that I can't really put my finger on, but it just kind of feels dark and heavy. The Lord, because he loves us, he goes, hey, Brock, this, boom. Can we talk about that? Can we deal with that, Brock? The Lord convicts in specifics. Now let's talk about what what does this mean to confess sin specifically. We don't say, hey, God, I know, I know, I know, I know, but I'm just a normal guy. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's some lust stuff going on, but I'm, I'm just a normal guy. And like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But they're, you know, just kind of the typical lust struggles of a normal guy. Not that, but this. Lord, I confess that when I looked there, I drank in a look and I drank in thoughts that are adulterous. Lord, forgive me for the adultery in my heart that was manifest in that moment right there. Thank you, Jesus, that you forgive and extend grace and extend mercy to this adulterous heart. And Lord, free me more and more of this monster so that I grow into a greater likeness of Jesus Christ. That's confession. The passion is directed here as well as here. More of that. It's not, hey, sorry, God, I know I'm kind of a controlling person. I know that makes some other people have headaches around me, like, I'm sorry, but hey, you're the one who made me. Just kind of how I'm wired. It's this. Lord, my need for control, to control every little moment and every little thing reveals there's a deep, dark corner of my heart that wants to be king. I want to be in control. I want autonomy. I want power. I want control. Lord, I confess this. And I'm telling you right now, I, there's something in my heart that wants that kingship, but I confess I would be a horrible king. You've not made me to be a king. I'm an awful king. Lord, help me to bow and surrender to your kingship and help that to flow out into the practical manifestations of just being able to let go of some things and say, I'm not in control, but the ultimate king of kings is. And on and on and on, we could go with examples of what confessing specifically looks like, but I would just challenge you this week, because you might sin this week, you might. And I would just tell you in that moment to, 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 to seek to move past the superficial, surfacey generality and to really try to get at, like, Lord, what was going on in my heart right there when I did that, said that, looked there, whatever that might be, confessing specifically, also comes in here too, not only to God. I just gave some examples of what that looks like to God, but it comes in like as I is horizontally in relationships as well. Um, when we're specific in our confessions to others, we acknowledge sin before them and that we've sinned against them. We call it what God has called it. We grieve it how God has grieved it. We grieve it for both how it offended God and how it hurt this other person so that we can see it and forsake it and, and run from it and seek forgiveness from it. And oh, by the way, on this point is we're seeking to confess to one another when need be. Um, Sorry I made you feel that way is not confession. Deal? That owns nothing. That owns nothing. Sorry, hey, hey, sorry I made you feel that way. It owns nothing. It says nothing. It's not calling the sin what God calls. It's not grieving it the way God grieves it. So we confess sin specifically. Second thing, under this uh, category of what is healthy confession, we confess sin frequently. We don't let our hearts grow comfortable and callous when sin is present and needs to be confessed. Do not let your heart grow comfortable with your sin. Don't let your heart grow callous and hard because of your sin. We confess and we frequently and often we confess the sin frequently uh, we deal with it and we deal with it now and then this third one and we'll unpack this more in the last point of this but we confess sin trustingly we'll unpack this more what we mean by this but in short it's this Uh, we confess and as we confess we rest in the grace and mercy of God that he's offered to us we rest in the promises of what he tells us about the blessings of confession And so more on that. But as we confess, we trust in the Lord and His character and what He has said. And so um, uh, these are the aspects of what healthy confession looks like. But we all know confessing sin is easier said than done. Am I right? We... We we all know that it's easier for me to preach on the healthy characteristics of confessing sin than it is to actually acknowledge my sin before a holy God. Than it is to actually look my wife in the eye and say I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? To look my kids in the eye and say When Daddy did that, he was wrong. God says he was wrong. I need to ask your forgiveness. To look my coworkers in the eye and say Dude, when I totally blew up and that I was wrong, there's something broken in my heart. We. We all know it's easier to preach a message on confessing sin than it is to do it, and it's easier to hear a message on confessing sin than it is to do it. There's something in our heart that cringes and cowers at the thought of confessing sin. And so, we need to destroy the hurdles that keep us from confessing. So let's destroy the hurdles that keep us from confessing. We're going to acknowledge what the hurdles are, and then we're just going to punt them. Ready? The first hurdle is this. this re- I mean, I know, like, it's not great, but this really isn't that big of a deal. We've all been there, right? I can look back at times where I've totally minimized my sin, just like, what's the big, yeah, I know, like, I should have done it differently, but what really is the big deal? Yeah, 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 like, that season, it wasn't great, but, come on, can't, like, can't we just move past that? Like, what's the big deal? The big deal is that our sin cost Jesus his life. Like, God looks and he says that sin's a big deal, and all sin's a big deal. And there's kind of a defense mechanism that comes with sin where we try to minimize it in our minds and in our hearts. And we just say, what's really the big deal? Let's crush that hurdle here and now. That all sin is sin that needs to be confessed and known up to and forsaken and turned away from and repented of. Uh, Second um, hurdle that hinders confession. This won't ever come out. It's a big one. Hey. I mean, I could go home and confess some stuff tonight, but I'm fairly confident if I don't, like, they won't ever know. This won't ever come out. God in his goodness to us because he loves us usually will in time expose our sin because he wants us to know the freedom and healing that comes from the exposure of it. And so we can expose it or we can let God expose it. But I think in time it will be exposed. Um, Thirdly, hurdles that hinder confession, this will make everyone run from me. Here's a biggie. What is everyone going to think of me when I come out with... I mean if I if I truly confess this like everyone's going to run from me. You actually might find in the midst of healthy Christian fellowship it might actually draw a lot of people very near to you. Last one. This is hopeless. I'm too far gone. Second to last one. This is hopeless. I'm too far gone. What's the use? I mean, I've been dealing with this monster for decades. What's the use? Yep, another sermon on confessing sin, another sermon I'm not going to do anything with because I'm too far gone. Truth of the matter is the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse us from all sin, and no one in this room is too far gone. Last one, I'll lose everything. This comes out, I'll lose everything. What you'll actually might find is you might gain more than you even realize. So these, are, these are hurdles that like, very practically we need to wrestle with this week, today as we unpack this. But, but I want to acknowledge something. Just acknowledging that these, these hurdles exist, I don't think is going to give us the, the motivation to actually go and act on this sermon. Just acknowledging that these hurdles exist, it's important, and it helps us acknowledge what would hold me back from confessing sin, but I don't think it's ultimately what will bring the motivation to go and proactively confess our sin and live a lifestyle of confessing sin i think it's this last part that will give us the motivation to go and confess our sin so this last point here's what we need to do we need to determine to trust the character and promises of god when we confess and i want you to look back at this beautiful beautiful verse that we have in verse 9 verse 9 if we confess our sins he is what Church, say it loud. He is what? You need to camp out right now in the faithfulness of your God. He is faithful that he has said. What what is he faithful to? He is faithful uh, because of his very character of who he is. He can't be faithless. He's faithful when we're faithless. He'll be true to his word. He'll be true to his promises. He'll be true to what he has covenanted. And he has said some things. He has said that he has come to seek and to save the lost. He'll be faithful to that. He said he's come to save sinners. He'll be faithful to that. He has said that he will come and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will be faithful to that. He is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And what else is he? And he's just. In his faithfulness, he didn't just overlook our sin. He didn't just say, hey, oh, Brock, I know, but you're a pretty good guy. Like, no big deal. Let's just pretend that never happened. No, he's just. He is faithful, but he's perfectly just. He didn't overlook my sin. He didn't turn a blind eye from my sin. He didn't just say, oh, no big deal. We'll just kind of look past that. Um, Our sin was such a big deal, he sent his son to bear it on the cross. And the justice of God was poured out on Jesus so that we could now come and confess. Teaser, next week, we get into this idea of propitiation. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. I'm I'm just going to leave it there. It's pretty awesome. You're going to want to be here for that, okay? The justice of God was poured out on Jesus. There's not one ounce of his justice remaining for me if I'm in Christ. Faithful, and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have not come to Christ, just no bones about it, just straight to the point you need to surrender and bow your knee to Jesus Christ this morning right here and be cleansed of all unrighteousness. What, what would you wait for? Today is the day. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? There'll be leaders up front right here. Just come right, make a beeline right up front right here. Find someone that's just kind of awkwardly looking out this way like this and just go, "I I need Jesus today. They'll walk you through it. They'll step you through it. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I just pray, I pray, I pray, when we experience the forgiveness and the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, when we confess our sin, the word, it's healing it's healing. Proverbs 28:13 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I pray this week much healing happens. I pray that much healing through confession happens this week. I pray in the midst of the mess that initially sets in when sin is confessed. And yeah, it gets a little messy for a little bit. But I pray in the midst of that mess that you will rest in the character and promises of who God is and what he has said about the blessings that come from confessing sin. I pray you'd rest in the midst of that messiness. I pray that those in the room right now who have a lump in their throat the size of a baseball because the spirit of God is working on your heart in such a way that you're like I can't believe I'm actually considering confessing that. I pray you'd be free this week. I pray you would be set free. And that the healing that only Jesus Christ can bring would begin. That you would confess and you would forsake. You'd allow that healing process to start. I pray for us in the room whom the Holy Spirit is working on to identify underlying quote-unquote low-grade ever-present sin patterns in your life that you would not dismiss them or discount them as no big deal, but you would instead hear the Lord say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but it is a big deal, and we are going to want to deal with that. Let's get it out in the light, and let's talk about this, and let's get some people around you, I pray, that confession would happen. And so as a church, church, listen up, everyone listening? Right? Good? As a church, we head out into a week where by God's grace, sin might be vocalized, sin might be confessed in our homes and in our small groups and even right here in the immediate minutes of the aftermath of a corporate worship service. I have a prayer for our church. That our church would be a place that's safe, but not soft. Safe. Here's what I mean. That when sin is confessed in your family this week, in your small groups this week, that there would be no tinge of judgmentalism. That that, like no one who's part of our church would go, whoa, I'd I'd never do that. Bull. If that's where our heart goes, and oh, by the way, my heart's been there as I've sat in the counseling room with people and they come out with stuff, I'm like, whoa, I would never do that. And the loving, tender, gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit reminds me, Brock, you have no idea what your heart's capable of. I pray our church would be safe for the person confessing something deep and dark and life-dominating who's worried the whole time, is everyone going to run from me now? I pray that people would draw so near to them that they've never experienced the type of vulnerability and transparency and nearness in relationship like they will after they confess the sin. Eric and I would say often before this church was planted. And she's just such a straight shooter and so direct to the point. She's just like Brock. Can we just plant real church? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, do we have to wear masks and just like get our Sunday best and just pretend like? It? Or can we just be real and can we say things that need to be said and can people actually confess in? Because sadly, there's something we learn. There's something we learn the longer we get into church. We learn how to look the part, and it's a very dangerous thing. That's what's so healthy when someone freshly meeting Jesus comes into our midst in the small group and just says, oh, here's what I did. I just smoked a blunt yesterday. What do I do? And we're all like, you can't say that in small group. I'm not saying that's okay. And I'm totally off script now, by the way, okay? But I'm saying, we, may this be a place where sin, because if we can't confess sin to one another as believers, like where do we confess our sin? We don't, we just hide it and conceal it and it just grows and gets out of control and it just dominates our life. So would this be a safe place? But would it not be soft? Would we not just go, hey, thanks for sharing that. Isn't our church so great, man? We're so transparent and vulnerable. Awesome, Good job. Millennials love it. So raw. But then we would go, I, I love you. Look at me, I love you. What you just confessed there makes me not think one ounce less of you. In fact, it makes me want to draw to you. But here's the deal, I love you. So let's talk accountability structures. And let's talk about like where we can camp out in God's word together to give you victory over that because Jesus wants you to experience victory over it. And here's the deal, dude, I love you. But I'm not going to let you persist in living in that. I will be at your front door so fast you won't know it hit you. I love you, but I'll be at your door so fast you won't know it hit you. Can we strike that balance as a church together this week? Father, help us do so. Father, I pray that um, none of us in here would believe a lie that we don't have sin needs to be confessed. Father, I pray that we would rejoice and rest in the promise we find in 1 John 1 night that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you're just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would so now work in our midst in such a way that you would make us doers of the word. That I would not be a pastor who just preaches about this stuff but then just doesn't do anything. That we would not be a church that listens to sermons on this but doesn't do anything with it. God, Holy Spirit, help us this week and now act out of obedience. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the good gift of the conviction of your spirit. In Jesus' name.